MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, good show today. We've got my colleague from Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim, on the podcast. He just wrote a book about uh, basically 90 days that took place in 1984 that changed sports and pop culture. The official title of the book is Glory Days, the Summer of 1984, 90 Days That Changed Sports and Culture Forever. It's a great book because he talks about so many things that happened in 1984 from uh, Jordan's rise as a star to uh, a great Lakers-Celtics NBA Finals to uh, pop culture moments. The Karate Kid came out in 1984. Cindy Lauper getting involved with the WWF and, and how that all started basically and led to WrestleMania. There are some phenomenal stories in there about Bobby Knight, Charles Barkley. So we talked to Wertheim about that. Then we're going to do a new segment every week here on the podcast. Um, most of you who are listening to this know that I write a daily column for SI.com called Train of Thoughts every Monday through Friday, usually post around noon Eastern. So we're going to do sort of like an extension of Train of Thoughts here on the podcast. I'm going to bring on uh, one of my good friends, Sal Licata, who's a radio and TV host here in New York. And I'm going to just give you guys some thoughts and he'll react to my thoughts. You guys can hit me up on Twitter about things and um, we'll do a train of thought segment here uh, at the end of each pod after our interviews. So John Wertheim, and then we're going to give you some train of thoughts on the pod before we get to it. Just a quick reminder, if you missed last week, we had Stu Gatz from the Dan Lebertard show, uh, talked about Lebertard show leaving ESPN and starting anew. Two weeks ago, Doris Burke and Evan Longoria. Longoria talking about the sticky tech stuff way before it all exploded, which was interesting. So check out those two if you missed them in the archives. And if you can subscribe, rate, and review, it is greatly appreciated. All right, let's get to uh, John Wertheim right here on the SI Media Podcast. All right, joining me now, one of my favorite colleagues. Glad to have him. I think this is the first time he's on, which is kind of ridiculous, but... Uh, it's been with SI forever, works for 60 Minutes, author, everything, tennis, 
guru, John Wertheim. John? Hi there. How, how, are uh, how are you? Pleasure to be here. Been somewhere forever is uh, strikes to the to the core, but yeah. uh, good to be here. How are you? It's, uh, I miss, miss seeing you in person. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, it's been uh, it's been a long time, man. It's good. It's, it's hard to believe that the SI office has been shut down for a year and a half now, basically. Crazy. It's going to be very interesting to see how, uh, this, you know, this, we're having the same conversation everyone is, but yep. uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when were things you, snap back. Anyway. Were you at the French Open? Did you go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was the I situation did. there in terms of capacity, fans, masks? What was the deal there? Um, it, it's a great question because I was there in October when Europe was really bad, and it was kind of a free-for-all. Uh, people had masks, some people didn't. Yeah, there was supposed to be a curfew, but I, the restaurants didn't really want to do the curfew. And this time, with half the population vaccinated, it was pretty strict. And you had to wear a mask on the grounds, and they allowed only 5,000 people, which sounds like a lot, but you spread that over a whole complex. And uh, by, by the final weekend, that number went up, but it was, uh, it, it was weird. I mean, it, it was very strange how, to me, how much things had changed in six, seven months. And do you know what the policy is going to be for Wimbledon in England? Um, an announcement is coming today, and it looks like 50% capacity, and they may make some uh, allowances for the finals. But, you know, I mean, it's you can't travel to the UK right now. And part of this is Brexit. But, you know, I, I got into France. I had to show a negative test. No big deal. I think it's still a 10-day quarantine. I mean, this, this corridor between New York and London has been closed for 15 months now. So um, I will not be going, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal this. Hmm. I will be covering Wimbledon from a studio in Santa Monica, but don't tell anyone. Santa Monica, not even New Yorker. Yeah. Santa Monica. You had to get the max time difference, but that's no, it's oh, ten, right, tennis, right, tennis right. channel, tennis channel is a studio in Santa Monica. It's a great studio, but uh, right. it's uh, the hours are going to be interesting. I, I don't, I don't understand the hesitancy to fill buildings and ha make people wear masks when, when it's outside. But I'm not a scientist or a doctor, so I guess I should shut up. But I don't, you know, there were 15,000 people inside of Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago for a Nick playoff game. But Yankee Stadium has less people and it's outside. I don't understand right. it on any level. Isn't this uh, of a piece with this entire pandemic though where this, the same people would like wash their vegetables with sand, you know, with sanitizer, <laughs> but then they would eat it on a park bench where God right. knows who had just been there. Um, uh, consistency uh, <laughs> has not been uh, the hallmark of this pandemic. No, certainly is not. Certainly is not. Um, I guess though, before the pandemic and I guess during you wrote this book, this is why, uh, you know, I, I despise putting people on who are promoting books, but so, this book spoke to me. This book was right up my alley. This book was made for me. The book is called Glory Days. The summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and culture forever. I will show this on good old YouTube right there. Now, first, before we get into specific things in the book, which I have a lot to discuss. I mean, anyone who thinks the 80s is not the best decade is just so dumb. It's not even <laughs> like forget the, the 90s, the 2000. There is nothing like the 80s. Oh man! I, music, debating, music, uh, TV, movies, all of it. Um, you you might the the options were a little more limited. Um, you, we did not have these devices in our phones that let us 
you know, tr trade currencies and call our moms and make movies and have the whole, you know, Western canon of literature in our pockets. But, and the world um, was a better place. And the world say, was uh, a better place. We can debate that. Yeah. So here's what <laughs> the world was a better place in the 80s. But here's what I loved about the book. You didn't just do sports. You did a lot of the pop culture stuff. I'll start with this, which I wasn't going to. But since you mentioned the phones that we have now, how big of a deal was it back in 1984 when the VCR was there? You cover that in a chapter, which I loved. Um, I mean, can you imagine the fact? I mean, just you had to buy VCR tapes, put the tape in the machine, program the machine to record the time and channel that you wanted. And we thought this was the greatest invention of all time. I, I think I included this in the book. There, were, there was a 20, remember the show 2020? There, yep. there was a segment with Barbara Walters who said, you can get media anytime you want it. You can 19... get it on demand in 1984. And it was this crazy thing. This was going to, uh, I mean, she called it a fad, which I thought right. uh, was pretty funny. But uh, the whole, it blew her mind on this segment in 1984 that you had this VCR and you could record a show and you could watch it on your time. You didn't have to wait for eight o'clock on Thursday. You, you were in charge of your own content. Right. Um, that was obviously a, a glimpse of, of what was to come. But don't you feel like, I feel like, with the VCR and back in the 80s, people didn't tape things to watch it on their own time. They really taped it in case they couldn't watch something because back then, and this is what I think is so different between now and then and another reason why it was so so much better back then. There's no more of the hype event. There's no more of the whole country's watching something. You know, people don't watch award shows anymore. Outside of the suit, you know, you get your Super Bowl, you'll get the NFC and AFC title games, but there's not that feeling of like the entire country is watching the same thing at the same time live. Those days are over, um, which, you know, is a bummer, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the shared social experience and it goes, I mean, t TV is an obvious one. You're right. I mean, the, some of the, some of the, you ever go back and look at some of the Nielsen ratings and go back and look at some oh, of yeah. the numbers. Um, you know, even, you know, 60 minutes does, does great. It's the number one show some weeks, but you know, can compare the 60 minutes numbers to the eighties when there were, three networks. And I think it goes, goes beyond that. Right. I mean, we all, everyone knew the pop songs now, you know, my two kids, two teenage kids, they listen to completely different music. They're both on their Spotify channels. Um, I mean, movies are obviously in a strange place. I think it's of a piece with where we are politically that there were no silos. I mean, there were these shared experiences. Um, right. You know, I mean, the, the flip side of course is it's kind of great how much, you know, how many niche TV shows are out there? I mean, people used to say, can you imagine someone being like, uh, you know, I, I pity the fool. Or where's the beef? And you and I being like, what are you, what are you talking about? Now people are mentioning, I, I don't even reckon, never mind hearing the name of the show. I don't even know the streaming service. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the flip side, we, we don't have these shared experiences. The flip side is, I, I guess it's, it's kind of cool that there's a lot of this niche content and more, you know, there are probably a right. hundred times more TV shows being made today than there were in the, in the mid eighties when you had three networks. Right. Um, let's talk, well, we'll talk about a lot of the pop culture stuff, but let's talk about some of the sports stuff. Um, there's a lot of Olympics, a lot. Michael Jordan is a huge part of your book. I think my favorite part of the entire book from the, from the sports stuff, it's early in the book. Um, the chapter is really about Jordan and the Olympic trials, but the relationship and back and forth between Bobby Knight, uh, 
and Charles Barkley is I think the most entertaining <laughs> stuff in the entire book. Um, with Barkley basically not playing along with, you know, Bobby Knight's dictator routine and, and trying to joke with him and poke fun of him and Bobby not having any of it. I love that stuff in the book. If you want to just maybe give my uh, listeners here a little preview of what they can get from that chapter, which I enjoyed. So, uh, the, I mean, the context is that this is before the dream team, the players on the Olympic team were, were college players, were amateurs. They all come to Bloomington, Indiana, which is my hometown. So I, you know, was 12 years old and saw this all uh, unfold with, you know, with my own eyes. And, um, you know, these players were at different points in their lives and their careers. Olympics meant different things to them. I mean, Jordan was hell bent on playing on this Olympic team. Barkley basically wanted to use these Olympic trials to boost his draft stock. And if he had the summer off and didn't make the team and he could go back to Alabama and, and you know, go, go eat and go home and have a good summer before the NBA, so be it. So Barkley had no interest in Bob Knight's discipline. And he put on these eating expeditions, you know, he put on these eating exhibitions. Hey, do you think I can eat this whole pizza? And he had zero use for Bob Knight's discipline. Uh, he came from a college program where he's, he's talked about it um, recently and basically, you know, he did, did whatever he wanted. And it's, I think his line was as long as I had, you know, 20 points and 10 rebounds, I was going to pass my classes just fine. And all of a sudden he gets to Indiana and this guy who's not even his coach, who's not paying him. It's a few weeks before the NBA draft. And he basically says, right, well, who, who does this guy think he is? Um, so, you know, he, Bob Knight, who was this, you know, just celebrated college coach at the time, he's sort of, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. I mean, coach K, I guess, but whatever sort of, uh, this absolute sort of d dominant unquestioned college coach at the time. And he walks in and, you know, everybody sits there and sits at attention and he's nicknamed the general and Charles Barkley says, you know, did, did your granddaddy die? Is that why you're wearing those shoes? And, Bob Knight's never been talked to this way by, by anyone. He can't really tell Charles Barkley to run laps. He can't really say, I'm taking away your scholarship. I'm benching you. I'm taking away your minutes. And it's this great standoff. And it's really funny. And it was sort of a, a glimpse of Charles Barkley down the road. And it was sort of a glimpse of Bob Knight losing some of his aura and some of his discipline. And it was good foreshadowing that Bob Knight's methods were on their way out. But I also think I mean, what, one theme, and I, I probably, you know, I, I probably hit this, should have hit this over the head a little harder. I mean, one theme of this whole book was this was kind of the summer when athletes woke up to their own power. And Charles Barkley's kind of right. Why am I taking shit from this guy? What am I getting out of this? Right. And, you know, M Michael Jordan signs this shoe deal where he's making more money from Nike than he is from Chicago Bulls, the team that pay him. And in retrospect, you're like, yeah, that's the way it should have been. And I think a lot happens in this summer. We can talk, you know, we have the rise of cable TV, which completely changes the way sports position themselves. It changes the finances. We have, you know, the, the rise we, we talk about. You, you were very helpful. And I feel like we need to uh, give you your credit. You were a big help in the Vince McMahon show. You in, yes. in the Vince McMahon chapter, you, you and David Shoemaker at the Ringer, uh, I, I owe you dinner. But um the other thing you had happen this summer is I think it wasn't political empowerment. It wasn't sort of activism politically, but I think this was a summer that athletes woke up and led by Michael Jordan said, you know what? I've got a lot of value that hasn't been unlocked in the past. I'm going to show for these products. I'm going to have a shoe that's my name on it. I'm going to figure out a way to structure my contract. So I get these bonuses. And this bit about Charles Barkley confronting Bob Knight was very funny. And it's sort of, uh, you know, this great culture clash, but, I think it was really a bit of foreshadowing that Charles Barkley is like, wait a second, why am I, 
who, who's this guy? Why, why right. am I eating shit here? I'm, I'm playing for free. I'm not getting anything out of this. And this guy's busting my, no, that's not how it's going to be. So you had this great uh, culture clash, Charles Barkley and Bob Knight. It, it, you, you touched on the topic I want to discuss next, but let me just put a bow on the Barkley Knight stuff. Cause this is what I, this part I, I loved in the book when Knight had a meeting at, he called a meeting for five o'clock and he showed up a little late. And when he finally got there, Barkley says, this is all in, in John's book, Glory Days. Uh, Barkley says, you're 10 minutes late. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> and Knight, livid, face red, basically says to Charles Barkley, let me tell you something, you fat OSOB. There's only one general in this army. Yeah, and that right there, like, you know, sums up Bobby Knight perfectly. And, the, and it makes sense the one player who would not, you know, go along with this psychotic game would be Charles Barkley. Um, I mean, the other the other thing about this, and I, I think I wrote about this, was that Barkley was awesome at these trials. I mean, guys yeah. that had never seen him play these other. I mean, this wasn't like today where everybody watches everyone and you can see a clip and you can. I mean, there's there's one game in the week. So if you're no one knew who John Stockton was. I mean, if it's, it's right. a few years later, but people are like, how could Scottie Pippen have been so well? No one knew Scott. So all these Joe Klein was a great source, the NBA player. And he's like, we didn't know. Charles Barkley was amazing. And we were all like, you got to come check this out. There's this fat six, five guy dribbling the length of the court and dunking. Um, Barkley didn't make the team because Knight thought he was, you know, quote uncoachable. Um, but right. Barkley was amazing at the, but Barkley stole the show at those trials. Right. People forget that. Um, you mentioned it. I'm going to make a statement. You tell me if I'm overstating it or if I'm accurate on it, because my takeaway after I finished the book is that the two people in the sports and entertainment world back in 1984 who understood what the power of cable was going to bring more than any two people were David Stern and Vince McMahon. I'll give you a third. I, I think you're right. I'll give you a third. And yep. he, happened to have got, he happened to have gotten shut out that summer, but, um, but he got it, was Ted Turner. Ted, Ted Turner tried to buy ESPN and is right. apparently still pissed to this day that he felt like ESPN went to ABC and didn't give him a fair chance. And Ted Turner also, you know this better than I do. I mean, Ted Turner also made a play for, for W what's now WWE. Right. Um, so Ted Turner went over to imagine if he had owned, imagine if you're Ted Turner in 1984 summer breaks right for you. And you owned, you know, TNT, TBS, you know, whole Turner broadcasting, CNN, ESPN and pro wrestling. Right. Um, right. But yeah, well, the I mean, biggest were, thing were, back then was CNN. I mean, that was in, right. in 1984. That, would, that was an enormous, you know, for, for TB, for Ted Turner, CNN was the gold jewel there more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, this was the summer where ESPN in the summer of '84, Getty unloads it to ABC. They basically they blown through money, and ESPN finally says, "Wait a second, more and more people are getting cable. People love what we do." I mean, Bob Bob Lee has all these stories where people are like, you know, he goes to the airport and they're like, "We know you," and he said, "We, you know, we we may be losing money, but we're on to something here," and. This was right around the time ESPN said, you know what? We're paying these cable systems to be part of their offering. That's bullshit. Who wants to buy Cox Cable? Who wants to buy a cable system if we're not on it? We should be getting paid by the subscriber. We should charge an affiliate. We should charge a subscriber fee. Um, that, of course, they did. They paid it. They went up and up and up. And this was kind of the secret sauce behind ESPN. But yeah, no, I think you're right. D David Stern and Vince. Give me a little, yeah, give me a little on Stern because he really was ahead of the game on this in terms David of the commissioner. Yeah, no, I mean, D David Stern takes over the commissionership of the NBA in 1984. The very first finals he gets is bird magic. And a few days after that, he gets a draft and he says, you know what? 
these drafts that used to go on in conference rooms of hotels, we should make a thing out of this. People might want to see the next generation of players. And he pays the USA Network to televise the draft from the Felt Forum. Uh, if you and I took our phones to the Felt Forum this afternoon, we would probably have a more professional production. But, it, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> he got it. They, they put it on TV. And right. David Stern was years ahead of everyone else and sort of said, you know, he takes over the job. His, his predecessor had been sort of a nice, polished politician, but not a visionary. And David Stern gets there and he says, we need to make programming because it's going to be more than three networks pretty soon. We're going to be able to make deals with all sorts of networks. We should have games ready to go that we're going to sell. And David Stern says, you know what? All you need is a hoop and a ball. We should be able to take basketball anywhere in the world. We should, who knows? We may be able to play games overseas one day. And you, you just sort of go back and look at his bullet points from when he took the job in 1984. Right. We need to build stars. I mean, D David Stern certainly saw the appeal of Michael Jordan early on. We need to expand to markets where basketball's hot. We may want to put a team in, in Carolina and, you know, maybe even Orlando. Everything David Stern thought when he took the job in 1984 was multiple years ahead. It, it ultimately came to fruition. And again, you, uh, I, I feel like we need a full disclosure bar. You, you were an immense help on this, but you, you knew this history better than I did. That Vince McMahon, same thing. Hey, look, we've got all these cable networks coming. We've always had pro wrestling on TV, but they've been on two in the morning at Georgia State Wrestling. We could consolidate this and buy up all these promotions. The wrestlers are going to want it because they'll be in more homes. And this was right around the time Vince McMahon swallowed up all these regional promotions and basically built what's now a publicly traded company. Well, the, and the one thing that I didn't provide you that you provided me in the book on the, on the WWE, then WWF chapter, which I want to get into is so just to give you guys who are listening a little, there's a chapter in there um, in 84 where Vin, that's when Cindy Lauper did her run in WWF at that time. Um, famously on, you know, teamed up with MTV, brought in a whole other audience. Those clips are on YouTube of the, there were two events that WWF and MTV teamed up for brawl for all. And I forgot the name of the other one, but there's brawl, one where brawl to end it all brawl yeah. tended. Yeah. And there, there's so many things that come out of that. I mean, you have Roddy Piper, people are saying kicks in the Lauper, which so that's a little bit of a stretch. He threw off her, his leg, but my God, if that happened today, it would be, uh, you know, front page news. And then, um, you know, there are clips on YouTube of that MTV show where G mean Gene Oakland's in the locker room interviewing Danny DeVito and Andy Warhol. I mean, it was just an insane, insane thing. But the key I thought to that chapter, which I, maybe I knew, but didn't really didn't hit me till I read it. You know, none of that may happen if it's not for, Captain Lou Albano, he's the one who brokered it more than Vince at that time. And then ends up in the girls just want to have fun video as well. I, I didn't know any of this backstory until I looked into it. That, that yeah. at one point, uh, Captain Lou and Cindy Lauper had flown. They were, they were sitting next right. to each other on a plane to the Caribbean. And Cindy Lauper is sort of this, this down and out pop star. She's got this one last who puts all her savings into this album. And they're casting these new things. Talk about cable TV. They're casting these new things called a video where you have right. a little movie that accompanies your song. She can't afford to pay people. So like Lorne Michaels ended up donating production equipment and they say, you know, for, for your dad, your, your mom plays the mom. And apparently her parents were divorced. She didn't want to ask her dad. We need someone to play your dad for this girls just want to have fun video. And someone says, there's a guy, Captain Lou Albano. And she says, I know Captain Lou. That was the guy I sat next to in, you know, flight three C. So Captain Lou, 
plays the dad in the video. The, the song goes to number one, number two, and they get, you know, suddenly you have this, uh, this unlikely pairing. And yeah, I mean, Captain Lou, if you go, go back and watch, and this, I mean, I think the other point um, that you helped me make was this was real. This was the origin story of WrestleMania. Right. I mean, this crazy MTV wrestling card with all these weird, you know, Andy Warhol and Gene Okerlund and Danny DeVito and Hulk Hogan and Gloria Steinem. And they were able to, for the first WrestleMania, the WWF was able to bring in Mr. T, who was like the hottest TV yeah, star exactly. in right. 1984. And Hulk, and Hulk Hogan. Um, right. But I think you're right that um, this crazy coincidence with Captain Lou basically set the wheels in motion for WrestleMania, which is now, you know, I, I don't know, last year anyway, I think it was second of the Super Bowl is the biggest annual sporting event. Right. Um, th so this happens, this card that we're talking about, it happens in, uh, I think, late, late July of 1984. It's in Madison Square Garden. They don't even barely fill the lower bowl, but it kind of becomes this, this insane, I mean, sort of the equivalent of viral. Yep. More people watch this in any show in MTV's history. And it's the best thing that could have happened. And then you have the whole rock and roll, you know, then, then Vince McMahon's like off to the races and it was the most random bizarre. I mean, it was a, even, I don't know if you remember, I mean, the fight itself was awful and it was like, wait, the, the wrong fighter won. And then they reversed it. I mean, it was so random, but that's it, wrestling. It, it caught yeah. that really. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. wrestling. I love that chapter. You mentioned it. Uh, um, you must be like seeing my notes because the other part of the book I loved, you mentioned it a little while ago. Uh, was the recap of the Lakers Celtics series. And what I, what I loved in that story was the game they played in the Boston garden one afternoon when it was like 500 degrees. Can when, you uh, give yeah, us a little I mean, bit on um, that? I, it's again, I mean, if the, the whole kind of theme of the book is like, this is when sports turned a corner and part of it was financial and part of it was broadcast. And part of it was just kind of this JV versus professional uh, I mean, my favorite part of that, this whole, so David Stern is this new commissioner. He's this lawyer. People are skeptical of him and he just gets a streak of good luck. And one of them was that the first final he presided over was Lakers, Celtics, Bird Magic. It goes seven games. You've got CBS. Uh, remember a few years before that, the NBA finals weren't even broadcast live. And now you have this, this sensation and it's a seven game series. Yeah. The Boston garden is this old sweat box and it's a, whether it was intentional or just a function of, the bad HVAC. It was a gazillion degrees. And you, you see, imagine this. First of all, you have a, you have an official, I think it was Hugh Hollins. You have an official who basically passes out in dehydration during the game. Now that's, got, so, so everything, I mean, I have this obsession with every single thing I hear, I, I read about, my brain goes to imagine if this would happen today. Imagine yeah, if exactly. this would happen. Imagine a referee passing out because he's dehydrated <laughs> because the building is 8,000 degrees. They don't have air conditioning in the Boston guard. It would, the world, the sports world would stop. Wait, I'll, and back I'll then the, it was uh, like a blip. I'll give you the best one of that. I'll give you two. One, yeah. one of them was just the sheer. If you go back and watch in the sheer quotient of fans not wearing shirts. Imagine the, the topless, topless men. But the, the right. my favorite about the. You want to talk about? A, imagine this today. The the teams flew. There were no private planes. You flew back and forth. You're flying. Co I mean, three thousand miles. And the way the union had structured the contract, the the veterans. It was by seniority. So the veterans got the business class seats. But if you were a young player, I mean, Michael Jordan sat in coach for the first few years of his career. Right. The best part about this is there, I think it was Pat Riley wants to get the team back as soon as possible for game seven. So game six is over. They go back. They're playing game seven in Boston. They take a red eye, but they don't even get a direct flight. They change in Washington. They change yes. at Dulles. So you're, you've got the biggest game of the season. You've got Magic Johnson, Kareem, Pat Riley. I mean, you have this 
iconic NBA team and it's six in the morning and they're walking through Dulles to get their connection to game seven. And the other thing I learned in this chapter is that this Lakers Celtic series in 84 was the end of the two, one, 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 one scenario. And now it's two, three, two, all because of what you just stated with the travel. Um, So imagine it's, it's game seven and you're making literally four cross country flights often red eyes, often in coach for the NBA final, for game seven of the NBA finals. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, I go back to, uh, to what I said. I mean, some of this is it's, it's endearing and it's, it's fun and it's nostalgia and it's, you know, can you imagine this today? But some of it also is like the athletes had no idea what their value was. And the fact that owners were making millions of dollars and magic Johnson was sitting in row 23 um, but, but part of it is nostalgic and it's, it's kind of fun, but the other part, it's, it's a little bit disturbing how exploited the athletes were. Right. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that, plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. And another great part of that, to put a bow on it, you know, I'm a, I, I was a diehard Knicks fan back in the, in the Riley days. And those Knicks teams were as rough as it gets. But it was in 84 where Riley had a major issue with the Celtics' physicality. This was a quote from Riley after one of the games that's in, in John's book. I think what Boston did was the equivalent of two gang warlords meeting the night before a rumble and deciding on the weapons. They both say bare fists and one of them shows up with zip guns. We now know what the weapons are. It's a shame it has to be this way. 
I mean, you, this you is a guy know. who had Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason <laughs> exactly. just, just beating people up if they came in for a layup. Uh, Very funny. You, you don't think you could give that quote today? I mean, you, you know, um, yeah. God, I, I feel like we're like, we've, we've become these old men who are uh, playing, remember that. But remember, remember when uh, Kurt Rambis gets absolutely decapitated? I mean, that famous right. clip where he, you know, so, so it starts this brawl and then Larry Bird gets, someone gets pushed into the cameras and it's, it's this, uh, you know, I mean, it's the guy basically gets clotheslined going in for a layup. They basically, 30 seconds later, Kurt Rambis is on the line shooting two free throws. No technicals, no we're right. reviewing the tape. Right. I mean, basically, it was like, all right, boys, back to the game. Uh, he, went, he went back, he shot his free throws because it was a shooting foul and like right. the game carried on. Um, yeah, now, we've got well, soft, Jimmy. While Riley did a 180, one person in the book who was the same in 84 than he is now is Trump. Um, you know, did his best to destroy the United States of America and destroyed the USFL in 1984. It is amazing to read that stuff and to see that he's just, you know, the same sociopath now that he was then. Uh, I'll say this about the guy. He, he's committed to the act. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was, I mean, I, I quoted um, Will, Willie Geist's dad, Bill Geist wrote a great piece for the New York Times Magazine in 84. And 84 was really when Trump sort of went from this New York figure to this, this national figure, and he used sports to do it, which I don't think we always... I mean, t- t- our old colleague, Tim Rohan, wrote a great piece. Jeff Perlman's book was a great reference for this and a resource. Right. But, I mean, that article that um, Bill Geist wrote, it's like a cut and paste of today. I mean, it's literally like yeah. tr- Trump uh, doesn't always traffic in truth, but he has a, he has a magnetism that's undeniable. And I think there's one line of you know, riding with Donald Trump is like riding in a motorcycle with uh, no windshield. It's a wild ride, but you'll get some bugs in your teeth. I mean, the I, guy, I, he showed us who he was 37 years ago. I hate to try to ask a rational and legitimate question about someone who's insane. But, you know, the theme in, in the chapter uh, in your book, Glory Days, on the USFL, and, and it, is that Trump was obsessed with having the league play in the fall and winter. Why did he think he was going like, was his motivation that he thought he would put the NFL out of business? What was, because I don't understand what the motivation was for that. He wanted an NFL team. He saw this as, I don't think it was even for financial reasons so much as it was sort of certification. I mean, the guy, what does the guy want still to this day? He wants validation. He wants to be in this exclusive club. He had been chastened by Pete Rizel. And he thought that, he could cut some story again. I mean, it's, it's the guy showed us who he was vividly that summer. Right. He thought somehow he could cut some kind of deal and he would backdoor his way into NFL franchise ownership. And they would basically give him a team to get. And if it meant completely torpedoing the USFL, which actually was kind of a cool league that was starting to have some traction, Donald Trump didn't care. And if it meant, you know, just baldly lying, Donald Trump didn't care he had this personal agenda to get an NFL team and he saw this was a possible sideway. And again, it's, it's sort of the vague, I'm going to make deals. I mean, there, there was right. no specific, I mean, even at the time there was, there was no specificity to anything he said. Um, I, I did Charlie Steiner. There were a lot of crazy coincidences. Oh, that was great. Book, but Charlie uh, was, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't even know that. Was great. But, you know, Char- Charlie Steiner was the voice of the generals and I, he had a lot of great stories, but one of them was the players loved playing for Trump because he was such a media whore. He'd go in after the game and he would corral the media and all the players right. were like, fine, I'll go home to my wife. I don't need to sit here and do a press conference. The owner is ready to, uh, you know, fill everybody's notebooks. There, um, there's great Charlie familiar. Steiner quotes and stories <laughs> in, in that USL. The other thing the USL ch- 
USFL chapter did for me. You know, I had forgotten some of those players. Who, you know, I, the only, you know, I hear USFL. I think Herschel Walker, Steve Young, those are the two that immediate. But there, there are a decent amount of players there who you know name players who ended up you know big in the NFL. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you you sort of wish. Uh, I mean, D- Donald Trump single handedly ruined this league. Sort of like Isaiah Thomas and then the and the CBA and the Continental. I mean, it yeah. really was um, a, a bit of foreshadowing. I mean, this the the, the disproportionate mess this guy made, but the USFL was kind of onto something, yeah. and you you wonder how that would have played out. I want to get to some pop culture things. As I mentioned, there's a lot of Michael Jordan stuff in the book about his year in 94, a lot of Olympic stuff. You get into McEnroe and Martina, good stuff on the Cubs in 84. Before we go to strictly pop culture stuff, anything you want to mention about any sports-related stuff from the book? Or should we just move it to oh, um, pop culture? No, we can I mean, move If there's something I mean, you want to plug, I want you to plug it. No, I think you've hit it pretty good. I mean, it's a lot okay. of... A lot of Jordan and uh, a lot of Jordan and, and a lot of, you know, I didn't realize this happened then. I mean, it, it's um, I mean, I mean, you know, I think this ties into what we'll probably talk about with pop culture. But I think one of the cool things about this summer in this book was it didn't seem like that big a deal at the time. Right. Nobody said, holy shit, ESPN, they're going to start making money. Nobody said, oh, my God, this kooky wrestling event, that's going to be huge. Um, right. There's some summers that see, you know, summer of 68, summer of 69, Woodstock. And, you know, some of these summers, you know, you're living history. This just seemed like. I don't know. Prince, Prince and Bruce Springsteen put out albums. Seems like a pretty right. cool summer, but nobody right. thought they were like living history here. So the two things I want to discuss, and, and there's so many good pop culture. There's a chapter on, you know, the the invention of the Mac. I could, you know, we could talk about that. But the two things, there's a chapter eighty in ni- 1984, the movie Karate Kid came out. The movie cost $8 million to make. First year, first week it was out, made five million. Second week it was out, it made five million. They were already making money week two, and obviously the movie still lives on today. I thought that, that was a really fun chapter. I was glad you included that in there on on the Karate Kid. Uh, tip, tips of the cap to our colleague Alex Pruitt and to Ralph Macchio, who was uh, who, who was wonderful and had a lot of great insight. I mean, some of it was um, it sort of fit into the summer. It just it, they they caught a wave. Sort of, it, it was thematically, it was good. It was right before the Olympics. It was sort of, uh, we were in this period, sort of coming off the, the John Hughes movies, sort of a John Hughes movie with a sports twist. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still, you know, you talk to Ralph Macchio, you talk to uh, some of the guys that were in it. I, I still think they're a little mystified that 37 years later, if I say wax on, wax off, everyone knows what we're talking about. And it's still going with the YouTube it's still series. Going. Yeah, exactly. And you've got, uh, right, you've got um, the Cobra Kai series. I mean, I think yeah. they're all a little mystified, but I think, you know, what you realize are things, things kind of catch a wave and they hit at the right time. And there's no accounting for it. The guys in Karate Kid were like, all right, that's a fun way to spend a few weeks. You get to do go-kart racing and Elizabeth Shue's kind of cute. I'm going to try and, uh, you know, I'm going to try and date her and then I'll go on to my next movie. I mean, they, right. they did not see this as uh, this, this movie that decades later people were still going to be remembering. And that movie was responsible for Cruel Summer from Bananarama, another great 80s song. Um, the other thing, I, the other chapter, what might have been, might have been my favorite chapter in the book, just because it, from a business standpoint and um, just sort of how it all played out, was the chapter on Michael Jackson and the Victory Tour. There's a lot of good, twi- I mean, you somehow worked Robert Kraft into that yeah. chapter. Um what blew me away 
is that there was uproar about the cost of the tickets and the tickets were $30 a pop. If that doesn't slap you right in the face, I don't know what does. Can you imagine that's, people uh, complaining about $30 yeah. a ticket to go see Michael Jackson? In that's, the, uh, that's the two-drink minimum. It giggles in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. Um, but, uh. um, yeah, I mean, you know, we may as well say. I mean, the, the story with that is Michael Jackson is the biggest entertainer in the world. He's coming off a thriller. And his parents say, basically, you got to make the whole family rich. So they do uh, the victory tour, which is the whole family. The siblings all squabble. Michael doesn't want to be there. Don King has managed to insinuate himself as basically the tour manager, and it's bankrolled by the Sullivan family. They collateralize Sullivan Stadium, where the Patriots play, as the way to basically fund this wildly expensive concert tour that Michael Jackson doesn't even want to be on. Tour is a disaster. The Sullivan family suffers all sorts of financial loss, and this gets the balls rolling so that Bob Kraft can buy the stadium first, the land around the stadium second, the Patriots third, and I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit of a reach, but the Patriots dynasty perhaps doesn't happen if uh, Michael Jackson's victory tour isn't such a calamity. <laughs> and the, the um, and that was the year when he got burnt doing the Pepsi commercial, which was a huge, huge thing in his career. I mean, it, it's amazing how many little things happened in 84. It's crazy. I mean, the book sums it up perfectly, but... I would never connect all those things that this is all happening at the same time. If Michael Jackson, you know, Michael Jackson didn't drink Pepsi too. So he wouldn't swig it. They had to come up with some elaborate way that he endorses Pepsi without actually tainting, you know, without actually poisoning himself with right. carbonated uh, corn syrup. So uh, you're right. He, he catches fire. That's one reason why, um, I mean, the, the, the not funny part and not, I mean, I, Correct me if I'm wrong here. Shelby will edit this out, but I, I believe that's what got him hooked on the painkillers that eventually killed him. I believe um, that's that's the theory that's out there. Yeah. So, um, but but no, I mean it's the the one thing. I mean, you know, I don't think you needed this book necessarily to to, to make this point, but it's sort of butterfly effect. I mean, the, the littlest the littlest event has huge implications, and uh, sort of once once dominoes start to go, dominoes start to go. Right. Yeah, that was, I mean, again, another one of those things where imagine today you have the biggest star on the planet gets his head burnt doing a commercial because, you know, and then, well, no, I guess 84, I'm just thinking about Pepsi. They had the whole thing. They had that whole controversy with Madonna where she's burning a cross, but that was probably 80, I guess that was probably 86, 87. Yeah. Um, well, that's an interesting run for this, Pepsi. Uh, well, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's one of my favorite yeah. stories, so I'll just throw it out. Go ahead. So they, uh, on this victory tour, that's such a disaster. Nobody gets along. The Don King's yelling at the brothers. The brothers are yelling at each other. They, they all hate Michael Jackson. They have a rule that they can't have entourages. So too many people. Michael Jackson doesn't like that. And the, the very next show, he brings backstage Brooke Shields and Emmanuel Lewis. And I'm just envisioning, you know, whoever, whether it's, uh, you know, Tito, whatever, whatever Jackson right. brother it is. We just fucking talked about this. <laughs> you have a no. And here's Emmanuel cool. Lewis. <laughs> and he's bringing yeah. in Emmanuel Lewis and Brooke Shield. It's like the, the Hollywood squares wants its middle yeah. row back. But uh, I, I just I always laugh thinking about how that must have played out. Did we not well, just discuss this? At least he didn't bring the chimp backstage. Remember, yeah, the chimp exactly. was his best friend there for a period of time. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, the book, the book again, it's called Glory Days, the summer of 1984, 90 days that changed sports and pop culture forever. I, I was amazed at how many things you got in there, really. It was, you, did an, you covered it all. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, the chapter on WWF is great. If you're a Jordan fan, you got to read the book. Um, and I, I, I love the pop culture stuff. I was glad you did so much of it. Uh, is there, Let me ask you this. If you had to do another book about a year, a period of time like this one, what else would you pick after 84? Like, is there another time in, that you find interesting? You know, there's the famous, you know, 94 ended up obviously being, yeah, right, you know, there's right. a famous 30 for 30. You had the OJ and you had all, you know, the Nick Rockets NBA finals with the OJ chase. And there was a World Cup game that day. And, you know, there's a great 30 for 30 on it. But is there another year that you feel was extremely pivotal, like 84 for sports That's and pop great- culture? I'm embarrassed to say I haven't even thought about that. That's a well, that's great fine. question. I mean, you know, so, so some of this is just coincidence, right? I mean, some of it, mm-hmm. hey, you know, Mike Mike Tyson loses at the Olympic trials the same afternoon John McEnroe wins. Well, I mean, some of this is just, and you're always going to have that. I think what you need is some finding, some some unifying force. And I think in this summer, it was commerce slash cable. It was right. Jordan, Nike, brands, and also you had this wave of cable. I wonder... T- yeah, you know, let's think this through. Was was there one summer when we saw the internet coming? Summer of I'm making this up. Summer of '99. Um, I'll give you a quick story about this. I'll never forget being in college. Buddy of mine worked for the newspaper, and he says, "You got to see this. You got to see this." Brings me up, and he shows me ESPN.com, and it took about. 84 hours for the page to load. I'm just like, yeah. who's ever going to use this thing? I'm, right. I'm sitting here right. waiting. Nothing's coming. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to use this. Yeah. So there, there right. was the original uh, bad take. Um, so what if you oh, had, uh, you know, AOL, I, I think the first year with when AOL started and you had instant message in the chat rooms, I would say that was sort of the beginning of it all. You know how many so, people listening probably don't even know what AOL is, but oh that, was the, that um, was the start of it. I want so if you did, I'm just thinking out loud here. This was a great question. If we if we mm. did ninety was ninety seven Tyson Holyfield. If we did ninety seven and we said, hey, uh, you know Jordan, Jordan's back and they beat the Utah Jazz. That's the Brian. I think I think ninety seven was the Brian Russell year, right? Right. Yeah. But yes. the Bulls win. I think it's his fifth, fifth out of six. So you have ninety seven, and you have. Uh, you have Jordan and you have whoever Griffey, but you also have people are discovering you can go in these AOL chat rooms or yeah, exactly. The, the New York times has a website and it takes a hell of a long time, but you can, with, with a couple of keystrokes, you can read the New York times on your computer. I, right. I wonder, I mean, I think if you did a book like this, I would want there to be some kind of theme and not just this right. series of coincidences. That's a great, I'm trying to think, trying to think about the, f- the first year Brady became the Patriots quarterback was what year was that? Yeah. Bledsoe was the quarterback for the Super Bowl, yeah. first of all, and they lost to the Packers. But it'd be interesting to see the the year Brady became the quarterback there. What you know? But even that, I mean, That's it really it. starts with the dread blue the right. Drew Bledsoe injury. That's really what started. Yeah, exactly. But, Steve, Steve Kornacki. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, yeah. Steve Steve Kornacki has like a one man show about a Boston Collin show with Bledsoe and Brady. That is, it's Mike Mike Pesca. Uh, shout out to him help produce it. And I think it's the two of them. If you can find this, it is absolutely comic gold. Steve, Steve Kornacki, Bledsoe Brady is uh tr- trust me on this one, but um, right, I'll look that up. 
but you've raised a good question. I mean, I think uh, this, I mean, I'll tell you, the book was a hell of a lot of fun to write. Yeah. Um, yeah well, the, the book is very fun. It's a very fun book. I, that, that's what I liked about it. I liked it. You never knew what you were getting with the next chapter. That's what I enjoyed. Oh, thanks. I mean, I think also I got, I got a little lucky in that it was, I keep saying this, but it was, it was close enough so that, you know, we know who Charles Barkley is. We know who Jordan is. People aren't scratching their heads. Like we, we, we get it. We know the Michael Jackson, but it's far enough away. So like David Stern was terrific as a, as a source. Right. And he's like, yeah, hey, it was 37 years. I'll tell you what really happened. Crazy red Arbok took me aside. It was far enough away so that people could speak freely, but close right. enough so that everybody knows who magic Johnson is. So you, you, I'm just curious before we wrap. So you mentioned you spoke to Stern and I know I, I had spoken to you about the WWF stuff a couple of years ago. Did COVID delay the book coming out or was it always supposed to come out now or what happened with that? Yeah, I think I'm, I don't care if I, yeah, COVID delayed the book. I mean, it, it had yeah. been in pretty good shape uh, before COVID. No, no one wanted to release a book in the middle of COVID and right. you know, but what's the difference between 36 and 37 years. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, listen, it's uh it's out now, right? The book is out, out now. now for everyone to purchase and check out. And I guess it's available where all books are available. I'm sorry. I had to sully your podcast with book promotion. We can, we this can talk, is, uh, we can talk normal stuff next time. Here's the deal. It's not sullying because you allowed me to talk about my favorite subject, which is the eighties. <laughs> if it was a book about something okay. else, it would have been sullied, but I, I'll talk about the eighties anytime with anybody at any place. So like this was, this was fun for me. I enjoyed this. Um, how many years have you been at SI? Oh, jeez. Um, I'm embarrassed to even say. Say it. A, a quarter century, I'll have you know. It's honestly, I mean, it's first job I had. I mean, it's really the only, for all intents, the only job I've ever so had. So you've, you've seen it all. I've you've seen, seen it all. It all. Exactly. You've seen it. You're one of the few writers who didn't think I sullied the brand when I, when I started Hot Clucks back in the day. So I always appreciated that. No, I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I feel like, we, I'm glad you and I'm glad Deitch are both in this space. I mean, I was saying this, you know, I, I haven't been right about a lot of things, but I always said like more people care about the sports center lineup. More people know Dan and Keith and Mike Tarico and Rich Eisen than the Milwaukee Brewers lineup. Why aren't we covering <laughs> sports media like a bee? I mean, if, if, uh, right. you know, whoever, if, if Charlie Steiner walks to an airport, more people recognize him than, uh, you know, any Kansas city chiefs punter. Why aren't we covering this? And you, uh, you've done a great job. I wish, uh, I appreciate I wish, that. Which we started this earlier, but, uh, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's, it's a great beat and you do it well. And we, we've bonded over the fact that we both love Chris Mad Dog. Are you going on Chris Mad Dog Russo's show to promote this uh, book? Don't uh, tell me he's not going to Allegedly. No, al right. allegedly I am. And I, um, he loves you because you love tennis and his favorite sport. He's the only sports radio host in America whose favorite <laughs> sport is tennis. So it's, he, 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 he is a big John Wertheim fan because of that. He is an American treasure. And I'm glad yeah. you, uh, I'm, I'm glad you put out his, his cause celeb clip the other day. Oh, it was, uh, was comical. Almost as much as, uh, you ever hear the one with, uh, Reggie Bush in USC and his, his kid applying to college. I I, I mean, I remember his I'll kid applying to college and him getting mad and yeah. Re Reggie, Listen, Reggie Bush. I've uh, told the story cool. before, but there was a, there was a baseball player who I think saw him one day on like baseball on, on MLB network and got mad because he was mispronouncing names. And I, I, told the player like he mispronounces every word in the english language <laughs> it's not he's not trying to be disrespectful he's not trying to make fun of you he can't pronounce any words that's why he is a national treasure you guys been on the radio for 50 years and, yeah exactly you know, 
All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Good luck with the book. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Glory Days, the summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and pop culture forever. It's amazing. 90 days. All that took place. Wild. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate right. it. Take care. All right. New segment here on the SI Media Podcast. Going to bring on my good friend, Sal Licata. Join me every week just to throw out some thoughts. We're going to sort of do an extension of the Train of Thoughts column. Sal is on SNY and WFAN here in New York. And one day I'm going to have him show off the wrestling figure collection <laughs> in the background of that Zoom video. For the people watching on YouTube, they're going to get a kick out of this because that is... That is not for air. On. What you see with the wrestling stuff, that's for friends and family only. This is some of the sports no. stuff that I have. But we're gonna uh, yeah. we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a. Uh, people listening don't know what's going on, but there's about a billion wrestling figures in the background of Sal shot. So Sal, Sal gives opinions all the time. I don't really do it on the pod, but we're gonna start doing it, and then you guys can go to Twitter and tell me I'm an asshole, and we'll have fun. <laughs> um, so my first thought here that I just said on Twitter, because the more I think about it. ESPN must be dying with these Nets injuries because if they get a Bucks Suns final, that rating is going to be historically bad. Um, what Suns Bucks would that get you excited in any way, shape, or form? If I'm being truthful, the only reason yeah. why is because I bet Phoenix before the playoffs to win it all. So Suns anybody is going to get me excited. But what line did you have? Uh, I bet like 25 bucks to maybe win 500 or 400. I'm not sure exactly what it was. So it you're watching every minute of every Suns game. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm rooting for Chris Paul to keep going, baby. Glad he's healthy and they're rolling through. Although I'm a little worried about them potentially versus the Clippers next round. But anyway, I've gotten my money's worth so far, 25 right. bucks, and they're in the uh, Western Finals. The Bucks to me, are not appealing to watch at all. Giannis, I think, is the most overrated player in the league after watching him a few games here with the Nets. And I know they've come back, but... Uh, he can't shoot the three. He can't shoot free throws. I just so no. I get what you're saying. Phoenix, Milwaukee is not exactly what I would think the NBA would want. ESPN needs the Nets because the Nets would be a phenomenal villain for the country to root against. The country right. doesn't want to see a super team of Durant, Harden, and Kyrie win a title. That's not what NBA fans want. That's not what people already hate New York. Now they're going to go there and just win a title. So for ESPN, they need the Nets in there in the worst possible way. Or what about the Clippers? Because if you get the Clippers and Kawhi and their history in L.A., I mean, then does it really matter who's in the East? Yeah, you can pick and choose. Nobody would want the Hawks. And like you said, the Bucks Again, are not really appealing. But Clippers, Hawks, Clippers, Bucks. That's, I'm just going yeah. from the standpoint of ESPN. Right. ESPN needs the Nets in there. They need Durant. Now, these guys have to be healthy, but... Embiid doesn't get you excited if you were to watch Philadelphia. Again, with Embiid, it's not about me. It's about what is going to pop the best rating for ESPN. Right. And I think Brooklyn does that because they will become if if the Nets got there, they're going to become the biggest enemy by far of the country. Right. People are, okay, people root for the Suns over them. People root for the Clippers over them. So I, you know, yeah. I'll tell you one thing: if the Suns, if it's Suns Bucks, you know what ESPN is going to do. They are going to try to get as many Kendall Jenner shots as they can to give you throughout every broadcast. That's what ESPN is going to do. Wait, who is she dating now? 
uh, Devin Booker. Oh, okay, right. I mean, I probably could have guessed that, but yeah, I, I mean, I, how, I do think I not, left, how do you not know that? I think I left her when she was dating Ben. I think I stopped paying attention ben when Ben Simmons was the last one. Yeah. Ooh, there you go, Sun yeah. Sixers. Now, the Kendall, there okay. you go. <laughs> now we've got something. Now we've got something. <laughs> right. ESPN will have Kendall Jenner in the booth with Breen and Van Gundy at the, and Jackson at that point. <laughs> By the way, that would make me tune in. I'd rather watch her in the booth than just the game. I'll tell you. Oh, that. believe me, the Suns get there, and and it's going to be the Kendall. Kardashian, a Kendall Jenner show for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Another topic, another thought here. I get baseball wanting to crack down on the sticky tack. I, I think it's bizarre that this is all going on right in the middle of the season. But now they say if you get caught, 10 game suspension with pay. Now, first of all, a 10 day suspension for a pitcher is two starts. And again, I don't know if the higher-ups at SI are listening to this, but if you are, I'll do anything for a 10-day suspension with pay. Please, let's go right now. I'll sign up. Tell me what I need to do. A 10-day suspension with pay. Can you explain to me what that is supposed to do? What is the deterrent there? It's only going to try to penalize the team because the team has to pay the player who's not going to be available for them, and they're the ones right. that the player doesn't care. I mean, obviously, you don't want the embarrassment, and I'm sure they'd rather not get suspended. But okay, suspend like you said, suspend me with 10, 10 days with pay. Where is the right. player getting hurt other than some embarrassment? So it's more about the team. This whole thing, I don't know how you feel. I don't know if we've never really talked about it before, but like these deflate gate stuff, the spy gate stuff, even the cheating, and I know the Astros took it to another level. This stuff to me, it's been going on for years. I don't care. I want to just watch well, the game. I'm in listen, I'm into the sticky the sticky tech stuff for a couple of reasons. SI's done a great job with this story. And what I love, the the story that came out. This week came out on Monday, and I don't know if you saw it yet. I mean, they have the text messages that these pitchers are sending the guy who sends them. Yeah. This. I, I, I'm into that. That's the fascinating. I've got a sticky mate. situation. Can you help me? Out? I mean, do you, how are you a, a baseball player and you don't know how dumb you are by texting all this? Oh my god! But again, my point is, if you're gonna enforce it, then you've got to have a punishment. That kind of here, if I'm a major league pitcher and I'm using this sticky tech. They bust me. I get a 10-game suspension with pay. The next time I'm on the mound, I'm loaded up with that stuff again. Right. Why would that stop me from, you know? So well, let me ask you this then. Would it be enough? Because I think it would probably be fair. I don't have a problem with the amount of games. I think 10 games is fine. They just need to be docked to pay. I mean, it's as simple as well, that. If they to, said, yeah, but again, 10 games for a pitcher is two starts. Well, well we're, we're, relief pitchers too. I mean, that could have an impact if you throw right. them in there. I mean, how would you do that? Because you can't suspend, you know, relievers 20 games and starters... 10 well, games why, well how come with, steroid, with steroids they suspend them for 50 games whatever it is yeah i guess i mean I, I don't know i don't have a problem with well what would be what would be I satisfactory for you i don't have a problem with the games but you have to hurt the player somehow and right. the only the way to do that is through the Money. pocketbook yeah absolutely right. absolutely 100 percent I, I yeah i, I also I, it's very weird to me to do this in the middle of the season but and also you know a lot of players are saying it's going to be dangerous because if the pitchers can't have control of the ball you're going to see a lot of well, hit, I'd like to know, players, which, how, you know how exactly are they going to police this? I mean, how, who's to say? The umpires. No, I know, but how? How How come? They're, they're going to check randomly. So let's say a well, pitcher goes in between innings, puts some of the stuff on, throws his inning, comes back out, takes it off. How If the umpire didn't check him, he didn't check him. I think there are probably guys who are known around the league. for you know Everyone seems to know Garrett Cole is doing this. There are other players I think you're just going to have managers of other teams pointing out who they think is doing it. The umps will check and then, you know, 
See what happens. The know. random checks are, I mean, I get why they would do it, but I mean, uh, I don't know. Players Listen, aren't going to hide it on their hat anymore. Maybe they could hide it in a different spot. I mean, I, there's just, and even if they did it between innings and then took it out each and every time between innings, I don't know. I, I'd like to see how they're going to fully crack down and police this. The whole thing. point of this segment is I'd like a 10 day suspension with pay from SI. <laughs> That's really the only point. All right. Last topic here to close it out. This was from last week and it bothered me last week and I was going to write about it in train of thoughts on SI.com. Then I didn't because I didn't feel like getting into it. There was a video that emerged from when the Astros were playing the Red Sox at Fenway Park last week. Kid asks Alex Bregman for an autograph. Bregman comes over to take a, I think maybe a picture. Kid comes over to take, Bregman comes over to take the picture and the guy goes, oh, I don't want a picture with you. You're a bum. You're a cheater and blah, blah, blah. And people were like, oh, this is great. This is great. How is this great? Now, listen, I understand the Astros cheated. They get what they deserve. I'm, I'm not, you know. One, at what point do we get over it? I mean, okay, they got exposed for this two plus years ago. Can we move on? Two, I understand you got your issues with Alex Bregman for banging on the garbage can. Alex Bregman is a good guy if you know him off the field. The guy does a ton of charity work and all this stuff for autism. And you're going to come over and just, you know, you're a kid and you're going to try to like, oh, I, I got I got one over on Alex Bregman. And it's all, I don't, to me, I don't see why that's celebrated. And how about the fact that Bregman actually took the time to go over well, that's to my this point. idiot kid? It shows you how good he is because most players would just ignore him, and it shows you why they probably should. And then Bregman, even after that idiot said what he did to him, he just shrugged it off and took a picture with the next guy. Right. That was, whether you're a fan or not, you have to remember that these guys are humans. That was so rude and disrespectful. I, and that's what, I thought the same nasty. thing, and it, but people were thinking it was great. I thought the same thing as you, and I thought Bregman came out looking – Excellent, because Agreed. he could have either, well, like you said, one, he could have just not come over at all to the kid to give him the picture. Two, he comes over, the kid acts like a jerk. Bregman could have just walked away. He still took a picture with another fan. And, you know, Bregman could have easily said something back. to. I think Bregman realized it's a kid, so maybe, you know, he's got to lay low there because he's not going to look good. But that kid was old enough where his behavior, I thought, this is not something we should be saying like this is great. Agreed. But I think it shows you, I mean, look, there's a larger problem, whether it's social media or society. You can't treat people like that. And I think a lot of times fans forget that athletes are people. Look, I hate Alex Bregman, the player, right? I can't stand him. One of the more unlikable players in the game. After watching that video, he's now gained a fan. I actually have a newfound respect for him and I'd root for him just because of that. So I'm with you. I don't see how the majority can see that and feel comfortable watching that. Yeah. Like, again, the fact that even Bregman would go over to take the picture, right? Right. I mean, that alone. I don't know how many players in the game do that. I don't think it's many. Well, I mean, and then not only that, the, the kid did. It's one thing if he said, no, I was just kidding. I don't want to picture your cheater. Then he went on and harassed him even further. Right. Bum, go bang, go bang on a trash can. Right, I just right. thought that was uncomfortable and, and obviously well out of place. I can't believe that uh, people would get behind that. Totally agree. All right. Those are my thoughts. Um, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. We'll do it every week. I'll have more as the weeks roll on, but we decided to do this sort of last minute, and I don't really have much else on my brain except for those three things. So thanks, Sal. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. My thanks to John Wertheim and my buddy Sal Licata for coming on this week's episode. Uh, if you guys have any response, anything I said there in the Train of Thought segment, hit me up on Twitter. And uh, check out past episodes of the SI Media Podcast in the archive Stugats from the Dan Lebitard Show last week, Doris Burke, Evan Longoria two weeks ago. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, give them a download. Appreciate it. All right, that wraps it up for this week. We'll see you next week right here 
on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe. Take care. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.